Welcome to the Companion Briefing Podcast. It's July 21st, and today we're going to talk about Guns Akimbo, discuss some of the biggest headlines in the world of sci-fi, and we reveal which VFX legend is joining the Companion. I'm your host, Tommy Terry Green, and I'm joined, as always, by our editor, James Hoare. Hi, James. Hello, Tommy. And what a week we've had. We need a little bit of a podcast and a cuddle. So... The Week in Geek came out earlier this week. It's, as always, one of my favourite features that we have. Um, what were we talking about this week? Um, for the most part, we were kind of catching up with uh, sort of the post-Loki kind of shell shock. We had the uh, a little curated section of reaction memes. Um, if you don't have the, the, the luxury of being able to sit online all day waiting for those bad boys to pour in, then there they were in an email being fired into your face. So if you're not getting the Week in Geek, it's absolutely free to sign up and you can do so at thecompanion.app. And it's sort of like having me shout at you on a Monday night. Yeah, but a little bit better. But... Oh, yeah, yeah, unless that's not your thing, in which case it's nothing like having me shout at you on a Monday night. Um, but one of the things I had in there is um, as well as talking about the Deadpool and Korg crossover that I think we covered in last week's yeah. briefing, um, I watched Guns Akimbo. Now, I can understand if that's a film that has passed you by. I mean, I, I don't know if you've been following Guns Akimbo, Tommy. I've not, I've, not seen it, I've not seen much about it, not until I saw it just pop up on Amazon Prime the other day. Yeah, no, that's what prompted me to look into it because all I knew about it is about as much as I suspect all of you know about it, which it is the very much the movie of the meme, right? Everyone knows more about that photo of Daniel Radcliffe all kind of wide-eyed and dressing gown brandishing two pistols than they do about the film that it's been taken from. Um, but it's had a, a bit of a kind of staggered release thanks to covid it's been out well over a year in the us and australia um it's a new zealand production by the way and as you said it finally kind of washed up like a piece of day glow driftwood on the shores of amazon prime last weekend and the poster's great but like the poster film is uh, it's loud two-dimensional just profoundly unsubtle and despite all the noise and lights it's only passably entertaining now i know that my good reviews sound like bad reviews so i'm a bit worried my bad review will make it sound more entertaining than it actually is so that that's my caveat to this sentence which i suspect is going to you know pique your interest tommy it's like the matrix meets crank but performed on 4chan. So Daniel Radcliffe plays Miles, who's a near-future beta-cuck video game developer. Now, he antagonizes users of an ultra-violent citywide fight club called Schism, with a K rather than a C and H. Nothing to do with the, uh, the medieval conflict between churches, which is, which is what I was there for. Um, so after, after Miles has upset the, the, the guys on the message board, he then gets guns nailed to his hands by a, uh, a goggle-eyed bad guy laughingly called Richter, 
with a K instead of CH. I don't know, someone, someone's keyboard was broken. Um, and he's played by Ned Dennehy. I, I think I remember that you're not a fan of Peaky Blinders. Is that right? No, no, it's not for me. You seem calm with horses. The, the Irish crime film, he's very, very good in that. And uh, I think that might be on, on Netflix, so add that to your list. Anyway, Ned Denny is great in any other circumstances, but I spent pretty much all of Guns Akimbo just being profoundly embarrassed for the man. Um, so, yeah, Guns Nailed to His Hand by a, an actor that deserved better. And then he's marked for death by the game's reigning champion, Nix, with an X, who's played by model Samara Weaving, who is Hugo Weaving's niece. There oh, we go. Okay. She's got the, the cheekbones to prove it. Now, there are lots of jokes about how Miles can't wee with guns for hands and he can't drive because he's got guns for hands and he, you know, he can't feed himself because he's got guns for hands and like he can't put his trousers on because he's got guns for hands. Mm. And honestly, <laughs> it, it's wearying. Like I, I think you have a, once you establish that the guy's got guns for hands, I think it's, you know, it's pretty obvious where that's going to go. I mean, maybe there's a Guinness world record somewhere for the most complete catalog of things you can't do with guns for hands. But I, I don't know if that's, that's worth making a film of. Now, the dialogue is all posturing action movie bullshit as if it were being dictated live by a teenager playing Call of Duty. And it, it barely makes any sense. Like, Nix keeps calling Miles fuckboy, which is really weird because all Miles wants to do is win back his manic pixie dream girl cartoonist ex-girlfriend, which suggests that writer-director Jason Lee Howden didn't at any point fire up Urban Dictionary and check what fuckboy meant. And I know this is a, a weird thing to, to obsess over within the, the continuity of the film where Daniel Radcliffe has guns fans. By the way, the city where it's set is called Shrapnel City. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> which is uh, one, of the, one of the only words which is spelt correctly. Um, now, I was trying to understand how we got here. <laughs> as, as both a culture and as, um, and as people. And Howden has a bit of an upsetting online footprint and last year he took to twitter to defend a film journalist who was quote unquote ironically using the n-word in a leaked private chat and described anyone who complained a quote unquote woke cry bully now when that intervention went about as well as you'd expect he logged into the official guns akimbo twitter to call out anyone criticizing him for it including a black woman um, he's apologized but i sort of feel that that kind of aggro, combative, vice-bro worldview is laced all the way through Guns Akimbo. It's just a profoundly ugly and surprisingly boring film. Now, Daniel Radcliffe, however, is fantastic. And the fact that he's fantastic against this backdrop is actually one of the most impressive things about it. And I can see why it appealed to him, because on paper, it, it just sounds like a Mark Miller comic or a 2000 AD strip or, you know, maybe an episode of Black Mirror. Like there's a good 30 or four minute, 40 minutes worth of content in that concept. And it is very, very stylish. And as I said, Radcliffe is incredible. And I, his comic timing especially is a revelation because I don't really know if he's ever been given that kind of opportunity to do do comedy like that 
um, especially given the limitations of the material he's working with here. I mean, I'm amazed he was even able to identify which of the bits of equally lump and dialogue were supposed to be jokes, let alone nail the delivery of them. Yeah. Um, in terms of other highlights, there's a an industrial metal cover of You Spin Me Round like a record that's quite fun. And uh, frequent Taiko TT collaborator Reese Darby plays an amusing crack-smoking hobo. Um, but that is oh. honestly some thin ketchup for an hour and 40 minutes of garbage. So how much do you want to watch it, Tommy? Weirdly more than before. Yeah, was it because I said crank? <laughs> <laughs> it is fascinating that you can... I mean, it's got that sort of trauma vibe to it as well. Like, obviously, big budget, pro trauma. As Jason Lee Harden's had this amazing career in VFX, but obviously a terrible career in having opinions online. Um, so it looks incredible, but there's just nothing there. It's just a series of kind of ugly kind of expletive ridden I don't know chat logs draped over an action film shrapnel city Tommy love that that's, shrapnel city that's the only thing getting me to watch it I think <laughs> that's it it's, yeah there we have it Guns of Kimbo a real film it was made <laughs> there you go you can have that for the poster yeah um so another thing we're talking about this week is just a little bit of fun. It's not really our thing, but uh, Chris Judge, who played obviously Tolkien Stargate SG-1, has been announced to be the voice of Black Panther or T'Challa in uh, the Avengers video game. I guess it's like an expansion they're doing, like a DLC kind of thing. Um, yeah, and obviously Chris Judge has fantastic video game chops, doesn't he? Yeah, with God of War, the uh, recent kratos i believe his name is i don't i don't really god of war myself but yeah, uh, yeah so that's really exciting he's got a great voice everyone knows that who's knows his work except for um christopher nolan who used him in the dark knight rises and he didn't say a word um what did he do in the dark knight rises he was like one of the henchmen that batman first fights when he comes back to gotham oh right dark knight rises is terrible we should do an episode just about that Yes, I, I think is, I think there's merit to it. This what about that scene where all of the cops in Gotham run down a hole? Yeah, see, okay, it's like what, all of them. The you made all the police run down a hole, did you? Right, yeah. Commissioner Gordon. So yeah, that was a film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's got uh, an ending. Um... <laughs> Beginning, middle, and end. The cameras remain turned on all the way through filming. Everyone showed um, up and read off, read off their paper. So that's right. exciting. Anyway, I'm looking forward to seeing more of more of Chris Judge's Black Panther work. I think that's a great character for him to, to get hold of. And the last thing that we're talking about this week is pretty exciting because it's someone new joining the companion team. So we made the announcement last week. Is that right, James? Week before, I think. Week before. Um, yes. Week before we announced the arrival of the legendary Ed Kramer. He's an industrial light magic veteran that now teaches visual effects. And he is he is he's really at the heart of the industry. Like everyone he worked with 
is now running the show on Marvel movies, on Star Wars, on, you know, whatever you like. If you name it, Ed Kramer's got an in. Um, he did a really, really great couple of introductory posts on the companion talking about his background and some of his uh, greatest hits. And they really make you appreciate the the impact that one person can have on some of the, I don't know, most iconic scenes of the 90s and 2000s. He worked on the uh, Star Wars prequel trilogy, um, which I think we can we can all agree was a visual effects person's film series. And uh, he did the, the the monkey kitchen scene in Jumanji, <laughs> which is quite proud of. And the bit where the vines pull the police car in half. This is the original Jumanji, obviously, not whatever Jack Black was doing. It's just so interesting hearing, hearing him talk about specific VFX shots in like The Phantom Menace, which are some of the most iconic like shots and moments in Star Wars history, yet they're just something he had to rush and do so he can go on his lunch. <laughs> like, and it's just this amazing shot that he had no idea was going to be so special. Loads of little moments like that and little insider insights to that industry. Industry insider insights, you could say. Yeah, fantastic. We nailed that. Um, yeah, so Ed is going to be working with us on a pretty special ongoing project. He's taking over the CGI Fridays branding and um, also the, the legal responsibility if we get sued by TFI Fridays. It's TGI. Is it? Oh, TFI Fridays is the, uh, the Friday night Channel 4 show. Um, I, I don't, I mean, I don't want to enter into a, a litigation with either of them, to be honest with you. <laughs> okay, so the final thing that went out this week was the survey that we're doing of our, of our audience. And I know, James, you were particularly excited to talk about some of these results, which are quite fascinating, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know what you're thinking, that, that setup sounded a little bit insincere, but... <laughs> I don't know, you just love data. I love being able to peer underneath the hood and see what it is that you guys are actually talking about. Now, the, the survey is still open. It's in the latest companion update on the website, but we'll also embed it in the um, the post for this episode of the briefing. So you really have no excuse not to fill it in. And it also gives Tommy something else to do. Because I, I know he's str- struggling, for, struggling for busy work at the moment. Yeah, that um, sounds right. <laughs> So we were basically asking you what classic sci-fi shows you'd like to see covered in the same level of kind of detail and love that we'd been hitting Stargate with. Um, I didn't phrase it like that, but I've just phrased, I'll start that again because it seems weird that Stargate's one of the answers. The, uh, the real heart of what we were asking was which classic, i.e. things from over a decade ago, sci-fi shows you'd like to read in-depth dives on or, or 
show on a podcast and things like that very much in the in the model that we've been we've been using for stargate so far that's a proof of concept by the way we, we're by no means done with stargate so that's why it was one of the the options you should give now unsurprisingly stargate sg1 came out on top with 46.7 percent of respondents picking that as effectively their the desert island sci-fi channel show um, but I was most surprised by the second choice coming in at number two is the X-Files at 36.7%. And One of my favourite articles on the companion at the moment is uh, Molly Flat's X-Files piece. Very yeah, that good. was really, really heartfelt. And that was a real tearjerker. Um, but I think it's the, the, the strength with which X-Files kind of put in a showing on that list that took me by surprise i mean it's always been like a stalwart show but to see it second to to stargate sg1 and to beat firefly which came in at number three with 35 percent i'm fully expecting firefly to be be well represented if you like stargate sg1 you're probably into kind of spaceship shows which again is makes it weird that the x-files ranked so so highly because the rest of the list, at least the, the top half, is all of those classic ship-based planet-hopping adventures um, and whatever Sanctuary is, which came in at number four, 35%. Much loved um, and pioneering and underappreciated. At number five, we have Stargate Atlantis. You That's probably your number one, isn't it, Tommy? After that's my f- um, favourite, yeah. one. And then at number six, Doctor Who. The Doctor is in. He's making house calls. He's right here, right now. Never heard of it. And then we had Battlestar Galactica and Farscape, neck and neck for seventh place, followed by Star Trek The Next Generation, and then Babylon 5 and Fringe, also neck and neck. Honestly, what shook me, along with the the excellent showing for the X Files, was how poorly Next Generation performed. Like, is there is there that sense of tribalism about Stargate versus Star Trek that you know there is for Star Trek versus Star Wars? It's not really something I've been aware of, but um, yeah, yeah, me neither. That is interesting. It was especially that Picard is quite highly regarded, and you think like, how can you? Why are you more interested in Picard than TNG? But I, I guess maybe a younger audience. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting, uh, interesting thing to to puzzle over there. Although I, I, there's also the possibility that it's the the structure of the question, like what classic sci-fi shows would you like to read in-depth deep dives on, rather than what are your favourites. So I think that you pointed out to me earlier today. It might just be that people feel like they don't need to know anything else about the next generation. But yeah, it's certainly certainly an interesting interesting lineup. Um, was there anything about the the top five or six that surprised you, Tommy? Just that, I guess the the X Files doesn't feel it's, it's, it sticks out to all of the others. It, it feels like a FBI sort of procedural before it feels like a sci-fi show. It feels like a 
monster of the week almost horror show before it does like a sci-fi one so i just find it so interesting to be so highly regarded within this genre maybe maybe it's because it is a bit of an outlier that it does stand out for that reason i don't know yeah it's an interesting one i know sanctuary was very monster of the week originally you know i know it's easy to think it's just been kind of sent rocketing up the list on the strength of amanda tapping and the rest of the cast having kind of slipped through the stargate into wherever it is they hang out in sanctuary some sort of yeah i do get the sense that we might have a few amanda tapping fans in our midst but (laughs) at the same time i think like you said about the framing of the question bit question being about um would you be interested in reading deep dives on i think there's probably a lot of the behind the scenes production stuff around sanctuary that people would be really interested to read deep dives on because it's not really been spoken about much and it does have this weird symbiotic relationship with stargate that would probably be an interesting story so i can i can understand that curiosity yeah, it feels very much as if it's the, the unofficial fourth Stargate series in a lot of ways in terms of the talent involved, kind of the fan base, and I guess the general tone, it had that kind of lightness to it. Um, another thing I suppose that's quite interesting about the performance of the, the X-Files, it's like typically for the companion, right? we like to kind of elevates the wrong word because we know that these shows matter and they they mean a lot they have you know great kind of talent and craftsmanship goes into them and they explore these these kind of weighty themes and like we know that as fans we know that as um you know writers and creatives ourselves but we feel like the rest of the world doesn't really respect that with the exception of a few things like star trek and the x-files but the X-Files is very much the type of series you, you'd expect to see written about in The Guardian when they do a retrospective or something. So, again, it's quite an interesting break there because I think the, the X-Files had a level of kind of critical success and critical acclaim that the rest of this top six doesn't really have in that same way, with perhaps the exception of Firefly. Right. So, yeah, that was, that was quite a, a curious, curious orange there. So the follow-up, which was just as exciting, really, was what new or ongoing sci-fi shows would you like to read in-depth analysis or behind-the-scenes stories on? Um, coming in in joint first place, we have The Expanse versus The Mandalorian, Physics versus Fantasy. Um, in third place, to our relief, obviously, Loki. So the, um, we, we judged well going in so hard on Loki. And then in third place, Star Trek Picard. Fourth place, Doctor Who. Fifth place, Stranger Things. And then in joint sixth, the two other live-action Star Trek shows, Star Trek Discovery and The Orville TV. So I think that was quite... That unfolded pretty much as expected in a few regards. Like people like sort of space set sci-fi shows, like space set sci-fi shows. It's not really controversial. Like you know, if you're into Battlestar Galactica or Stargate or Star Trek, you'll probably like The Expanse or you'll like Mandalorian. It's good to see Loki coming in really strongly there. Um, Doctor Who again. Stranger Things was. 
a nice little outlier. Good to see that, you know, you lot aren't put off by a bit of kind of horror or by the sort of hipsterish retro 80s reputation it has. Um, so, yes, those were, those were some really interesting results there. And hopefully we'll be able to, to follow up on that by, you know, picking out a few of these to start covering in that same level of um, detail. Um, for you, Tommy, what would you most like to kind of see us exploring? Well, I kind of think it's really interesting that Loki's on here because it's obviously finished now. And I don't think there was really a cry for WandaVision or Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but Loki obviously is the only one so far that's getting a season two, right? I don't think Falcon and Winter Soldier is. I don't think WandaVision is. So it's interesting that fans are latching onto it the same way where they want, they want to return to that place, whether it's reading deep dives, going behind the scenes or whether it's rewatching it or waiting for a season two. So I'd like to keep exploring that world, to be honest. I think that's a, a really interesting one. Um, and the same goes for the Mandalorian, which kind of surprised me that it's so high because it's the hype's definitely gone down now. It's been a good six months to, since it was on air. And people are still in a big way wanting to see more about it because I don't think that I think we're delayed the next season, aren't we? And, um, we've got the Book of Boba coming next, and then Obi Wan, and then I think the Mandalorian. So, but people are still interested in keeping that fire alive. Yeah, um, I think another one of the surprises, although not totally a surprise because I wasn't expecting the DC superhero shows to score massive. But I know they have like a super like zealous fandom, but that super zealous fandom does not appear to have an overlap with with you guys, with the kind of the core Stargate spaceship crowd. Because Superman and Lois, Legends of Tomorrow, Titans, Batwoman, they all really kind of slipped in at the bottom of like two and four percent. Um, any exception really being a few extra votes for Doom Patrol, which is probably a credit to its slightly more sci-fi weirdness edge. Yeah, I really watch Doom Patrol. I love the comic. Yeah, so looking at the, the write-in votes, I think one thing is clear is that our, our kind of criteria for classic show and for new show left uh, a little bit of a gap for recent shows that are no longer active because unsurprisingly, given the personnel involved, both Brad Wright's Travellers and Joe Malozzi's Dark Matter came in incredibly strongly with the, the writing votes. Two other writing votes I want to give a shout out to. Um, firstly, whoever it was that said, it just said simply, doing a good job so far. <laughs> Thanks, that guy. <laughs> Although they did answer on do you regularly listen to podcasts? No. So... Oh. Maybe I shouldn't be thanking you. She won't ever hear it. Um, also, would like to uh, commend the honesty of, honestly, I'm here only for SG1. Fair enough. We have made that quite easy for you. Although you are interested in a new series of Lost in Space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Curious. You also don't listen to podcasts, so we can make fun of you a bit. <laughs> So, if you want to have your say, um, 
it's anonymous, so you don't have to feel bad when we make fun of you in next week's briefing. We won't make fun of you in next week's briefing. This is not going to be a regular format. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Then please do take the survey. It is embedded in the latest companion update and also in the briefing post for this episode. So all roads lead to companion survey. Also been pushing it on Twitter. So there's lots of lots of excuses um, to just tell us what you think. It shouldn't take more than two minutes and 40 seconds. I didn't pull that number out of the air. That's what the, the type form tells me it's taken people. So if you if you account for some of the hard of thinking, it's maybe two minutes. There you go. Over to you, Tom. <laughs> Well, that's great. And if you have any other questions that you want to send over about the companion content or anything else for that matter, you can send them through to Tommy at thecompanion.app. And that's it for another week, James. Guns akimbo. You've had your beans. Thanks. See you next week.